Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Bethan and it is just me this week. I'm not back for good. I'm just here for a little episode for you guys. I don't want you to forget who I am. I don't want you to forget my voice. But Mark's obviously doing such an amazing job going solo again. Sorry about that, Mark. Um, currently sat here with baby on my lap because she's fallen asleep, which is really, really helpful. And hopefully I'll be able to get this recording done. Um, and hopefully you won't hear her snuffling away too much in the background. I was going to put her in a little chair, but it's like, um, like a vibratory chair, like a buzzy one. And I was like, that's going to be really annoying in the background of the podcast. So I'm just going to sit here with her on my lap and tell you about a couple of cases people have requested but there's not really enough information to do a full episode and it's always difficult when that's the the case with things especially recommendations because people recommend things for a reason you know for some reason that case really sat with them and stuck with them and they wanted us to cover it we can't cover everything that people recommend and we do quite a lot but we can't cover everything these two are cases that really intrigued me Um, I did want to cover them and so I thought I would today for you guys. So the first one is Neil underscore T on Instagram asked us to cover the 2008 case of Mike Morgan and then Vic Lou 911 asked us to cover the murder of Adrian Greenwood in Oxford. It's always really weird when I do a solo recording and I am really gutted not to be chatting to Mark about the cases. I'm hoping he's going to get some discussion threads going on social media and um get everyone talking that way instead and then I can come and have a little chat with you guys and see what you think about the episode. Before we begin I do want to do a quick disclaimer that obviously usually episodes are written and recorded within the space of about two weeks maximum. This has been written back in April. I'm recording it now in July. It's going to be out maybe July, probably August. So, well no it'll definitely be August by now because we're at the end of July. So there is always the chance that some of the information has changed, perhaps some new evidence has come about, maybe something has happened within these cases. This is really unlikely with these two cases, but I thought it was worth saying, if you have got any updates that have happened since I wrote this episode back in April, please do share them on the discussion threads because it's always really, really interesting for us. Obviously, any sponsors or um, ads that we have for the episode mark will add these in right about now i'm really missing doing the show really want to get back into it as soon as i can anybody who's got little ones will totally understand that you just don't get much of a time schedule when they're this little so even trying to do some recording with mark and you know i'd say to mark like i'd like to do some recording it's going to be really tough because i'd say to him let's do two o'clock she's going to want to feed it 10 to 2 or she's going to wake up or she's it's just difficult so once she's in a little bit more of a routine um I can dump her with her daddy-o and squirrel myself away for an hour in the office so let's get on with the first of this week's cases this case is just really sad from the very beginning and to be honest there's not really any real outcome it's it's just sad from start to finish Michael Morgan was 42 years old. He's a former soldier living with his wife and three kids, who included their 18-year-old son, in Caerphilly, South Wales. During the early hours of March the 26th, 2008, he was brutally attacked. He was stabbed with a samurai sword so savagely through his back that it actually came out through his chest. The emergency services were called, but they were unable to save Michael, and he was pronounced dead an hour after he was stabbed. 
His teenage attacker fled and was found by police shortly afterwards at a nearby viaduct and he was threatening to jump off the edge. So who was this attacker? Well, shockingly, it was Michael's 18-year-old son, Kane Morgan. Kane was the eldest of three children, was described as a shy and withdrawn boy, and he was apparently suffered with a lack of self-esteem. It later emerged as well that he actually had paranoid schizophrenia. At the time, he was studying for his A-levels at college, and in the run-up to his father's death, he had been spending a considerable amount of time on the internet researching demonology. He was suffering from a deep delusional view. His room was decorated with dark oriental themes and he really felt like he was under the thrall of a shade or a demon that would tell him what to do. Um, His mental health condition wasn't known about at this point, but afterwards it, it soon transpired that that was the case. He honestly believed that his dad was poisoning the household and he believed that his dad had found out that he knew about this And he also thought that his dad was physically hurting his sister. He was really worried that now his dad knew about this, that that Cain knew what Michael was doing, according to Cain, he really felt like he was going to be kicked out of the house. Um, So tensions really were rising. Cain had been given a set of samurai swords as a Christmas present, and he had a range of bladed weapons in his bedroom. After police officers coaxed him down from the viaduct, the teenager actually said under caution that he meant to, to stab his father, but he said it was self-defence. So Cain told the police during interviews that he remembered there was a struggle on the stairs, his father had fallen backwards, and he said he acted in self-defence. But this was quite quickly discounted because he'd taken the largest from the set of samurai swords and had pushed it through his father on purpose and from behind. He'd also told a friend via an online message prior to this that he was planning to kill his dad and then after that he was going to kill himself. At court, a charge of murder was then withdrawn by the Crown Prosecution Service. So they started off with murder and then they went to manslaughter. And Cain admitted the manslaughter of his father, Michael Morgan, on the grounds of diminished responsibility. So... Michael Morgan's wife and his mum were in court, but neither were able to make any statements or public comments. They were just so upset. And the judge said, This is obviously a case where, for the protection of the public from serious harm, you should not be released without careful consideration by the Home Secretary or a mental health tribunal. The judge also said, I am satisfied that you are suffering from a mental illness or psychopathic disorder called paranoid schizophrenia. I'm further satisfied that your mental disorder is of such a nature or degree that it makes it appropriate for you to be detained for medical treatment and such treatment is likely to prevent or alleviate the deterioration of your condition. So the judge ordered that Kane Morgan would be detained under a hospital order and would only be released when it was safe to do so. Speaking about Kane Morgan's mental health, his mum, Haley did say later that her son had gone to the GP after he said he could hear voices, um, but he just wasn't diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, and he wasn't until after his dad's murder and, and after everything happened. And as I said, this case was just really, really sad. It just doesn't get any happier. After spending time in different hospitals, Kane was transferred to Main Diff Court Hospital, which is in Abergavenny in 2012. And at this point, he was allowed home visits 
and unsupervised time away from the hospital. And this was up to 10 hours a day. Things were really looking up for him. The ward he was on was low secure and it just seemed like he'd turned a corner. On October the 30th, 2015, a drug sweep was taken of the ward after concerns were raised of patients using Subutex, which is a heroin substitute. All the patients were drug tested and Kane was then allowed to leave the ward. The staff had what they called no concerns about Kane and there was no reason to cancel his leave. However, they hadn't had the drug test results back yet and actually they later revealed that he had tested positive for Subutex. The police were called later that day to a viaduct and it was the viaduct where Kane had fled to after he'd killed his dad. And there he was found dead by the police. He had fallen from the viaduct. A post-mortem examination concluded that the cause of death was a laceration to the aorta, his lung and his liver, fracture of ribs and sternum, and blunt trauma from the fall. His schizophrenia diagnosis, drugs and alcohol intake were also said to have been contributing factors, and the coroner's jury returned a verdict of suicide. So as I said, guys, no happy ending there. It was just a sad case from start to finish. This poor kid just didn't get any of the help that he really could have done with way sooner. And that family then were torn apart in two ways. They lost their father and the dad, the husband, and also lost their son. Like It's so tragic. And I'm sorry, guys, because it's not going to get any happier because this week's case opens with Adrian Greenwood, aged 42, being found by his cleaner at his four-storey Oxford house on the 7th of April 2016, having been fatally stabbed in the chest and neck. He had also been stamped on after being stabbed. Adrian was a British historian, a biographer, an author, an art dealer. He had a particular interest in 19th century British military history. After leaving Imperial College, Greenwood had begun buying British Rail lost property and selling things at car boot sales around London, and he soon moved on to antique furniture. He had an article published in the Antiques Bulletin in 1998, and so began a career writing for most of the British antiques and collectibles magazines, as well as several interior design and heritage titles too. In the year 2000, he began selling books online and he then diversified into taxidermy, classic cars, prints, maps, paintings and arts, most notably Arts by Banksy. In 2011, Greenwood retired from dealing and decided to concentrate on his writing. Adrian was last seen alive at the Sainsbury's supermarket on Oxford Road, Kidlington on the 5th of April 2016. His body was then found by his cleaner two days later on the 7th of April and he had died on the 6th. Police said that the attack had probably happened in the hallway of his house and it was a vicious and sustained attack. They began an investigation and they first released a 26-year-old man, but he was later released without any charge. A rare £50,000 first edition of The Wind in the Willows, still in its original dust jacket from 1908, was missing from the book dealer's collection. As police continued to investigate, they soon found the book in question listed on eBay for just £2,000. So who was trying to sell the book? Had they happened upon it or had they been the one to kill Adrian? Well, not only was this the murderer who was trying to sell the book on, he had actually chosen to target Adrian on purpose. Adrian Greenwood's mobile phone was missing and a police search traced its movements through Oxford to Peterborough on the day of the murder. Number plate recognition technology then revealed the only car which travelled on the same route as the phone that day was a Citroen Picasso belonging to Michael Danaher. 
He was aged 50 of Peterborough. So he was investigated and was arrested on the 10th of April and remanded into custody the following day. Turned out he had literally put the book on eBay the day after the murder. Absolute madness. I just, just hold on to it for a little bit, surely. And the police decided to look into him further. And what they found was absolutely shocking. This was not a random decision to go and attack and kill this book dealer. It wasn't even a decision to go and steal that book and attack the book dealer and steal the book. He had a spreadsheet on his computer with the names of 14 people who he described as people of means who he intended to steal from or kidnap. Danaher was £13,000 in debt, having taken redundancy from the engine manufacturer Perkins in Peterborough a few years prior, but he'd lost all his money in an investment scam. So he was intending to get money by going to the houses of wealthy people and robbing them. This list is really mad as well. You can find it online. And next to Adrian Greenwood's name on the list was a note that said, Modus operandi, any, expected take, rare books. Michael Danaher had also targeted Jeffrey Archer and Kate Moss, venture capitalist Adrian Beecroft, TV pawnbreaker Adam Hatfield, property developer Howard Grossman, and financial investor Guy Hans. He'd also searched online for details on Eamon Holmes, Michael Parkinson, Rio Ferdinand, Simon Cowell, Katie Hopkins, and Greg Dyke. The list was efficient and really quite brutal. It contained details of valuables, weapons, and the family members of his planned victims. The weapon listed in many cases was stun gun, and this was one of the things found in Mr. Danaher's flat by police. He listed his method of capture or target by listing things like stun, crate delivery, daughter, and then obviously had this expected take from each person. Mr. Danaher admitted to killing Mr. Greenwood, but he said it was in self-defence, saying they'd been in the house arguing and Adrian had come at him with a knife, so he grabbed the knife and started punching him. He said, he got irate and said, you obese tosser. He wouldn't let me get my bag and he pushed me and I fell down the hallway. He said, he got hold of the knife and swung it in self-defence, but did not intentionally stab Adrian Greenwood at his Oxford house. When he was asked why he took some of then Adrian's belongings, he said, I was shocked and angry. I wanted to make him pay for attacking me. So I took some of his belongings. I put the book in my bag and also a camera. I was just so angry with him. But blood pattern analysis proved the attack was not self-defence. Adrian had lost or was losing blood as he moved along the hallway from the stab wound to his back. He ended up on the ground in the hallway and that's where the attack continued. And before he left, Danaher actually washed the off blood that he'd got on him during the attack. Giving evidence during the trial, Danaher said that an unknown man had used his laptop to search for the addresses of high-profile people, including Gary Lineker and Louise Redknapp. But Danaher laid the blame for the attack and the listener's computer at the feet of this man, saying he couldn't identify him, he'd been threatened. He travelled to Adrian's house and he'd given this unknown man a lift to buy a new car. He said this unknown man would regularly use his laptop and said he must have put the spreadsheet on there. There was like searches on his computer and his phone, which included how to get away with murder, how to buy a handgun. And he kept on saying it was this unknown man. He said he'd asked the man about the list and he said in court, he clearly wasn't happy that I noticed it and he became quite abusive and threatening. He said I'd get fucking hurt if I told anyone. I just don't understand how this guy thought that this was any sort of defence whatsoever. The court also then heard that he'd actually stopped outside Adrian Greenwood's house and took a selfie after the murder. 
So after the killing, Mr. Danaher then typed up a letter to the wife of venture capitalist and Wonga investigator, Adrian Beecroft, who he had previously unsuccessfully tried to rob. So he pretended to deliver a parcel and he wrote in his letter, hey, watch out, what happened to Adrian Greenwood? That could happen to you. It's, oh my God. So he demanded £90,000 worth of Bitcoin currency. Otherwise, he and his associates would make Mr. Beecroft and his family's lives very interesting. After a four-week trial, Danaher was found guilty of murder, and the jury deliberated for just an hour before they returned their unanimous verdict, and I completely understand why that was unanimous. Apparently, Danaher looked on expressionless at the time. In passing sentence, the judge said that Danaher had become obsessed with famous people, he had tortured his victim and he said he drew up plans to rob, burgle or kidnap people to generate funds. You became obsessed with famous personalities and drew up a lengthy list of potential targets. You left Mr Greenwood bleeding on the floor to death on his own hallway floor and even took a picture of yourself. You applied more torture than the knife stab wounds. And on the 24th of October 2016, Michael Danaher was found guilty and he was jailed for life with a minimum term of 34 years. So what are your thoughts on the cases from today's episode? I totally appreciate that this is going to be a little bit shorter than normal and I apologise for that. Not only because the cases are quite short and there's not really too much to talk about with them, but also we're not having the conversations me and Mark would normally have. Me and Mark would normally be having a right old natter about these and it's a real shame not to be able to, but do you know what? I felt like these were cases that really caught my interest as well when Neil underscore T and Vicklu911 sent their suggestions in. So thank you so much again, guys. Thank you for sending your suggestions. And we do try and look at the cases that you guys talk to us about. So if you've got any cases you want to talk to us about and you want us to cover, please do send them over and let us know. We can't always cover them, like I said before, but if we can, we will. Are these cases that you've heard of before? Mike Morgan's case, I hadn't even heard about his murder before, but I had heard about what's called in the media the wind in the willows murder, I think is is the description. So yeah, please get chatting on social media and tell us what your thoughts are. And I really hope that the baby wasn't too noisy throughout this recording. I hope you can't hear her snuffling in her sleep too badly. However, I'm sure nobody's going to be that bothered by breathing sounds. Before I head off, I just wanted to quickly say about a couple of things for you guys. So we've mentioned it before. We're going to keep mentioning it because we're really excited. CrimeCon, the world's number one true crime event, is coming to London. And it's the first time it's come to London. It will be the 25th and the 26th of September 2021. So this year, it is one weekend bringing together documentary makers, experts, podcasters. So Seeing Red will be there. Law enforcement professionals and true crime enthusiasts, a serious genre made immersive, engaging and accessible. It is the opportunity to delve deeper into cases, examine evidence and hear real life stories from survivors and the families of victims. If you'd like to come, it's a weekend event. So there's only about eight or nine weeks left to go when I'm recording this. If you do want to book a ticket, you can use our special code, which is the word red, as we like to tell you, it's R-E-D. And you can get a discount if you use our code. You'll also get a goodie bag. So that's hopefully exciting for you all. Everybody who's already signed up to use our code, I will be getting in touch with you in the next few weeks to talk to you about goodie bags and find out your t-shirt sizes and some of your preferred choices for the goodie bags. 
Um, so yeah, really excited about that. And then the other thing I wanted to quickly mention is my book, which I've been going on about far too much, I'm sure, but I'm so excited. It is going to be out on the 1st of September. It's on pre-orders at the moment, so you can pre-order your copy as an ebook or a paper book at www.crimepublishingnetwork.com or there will be a hardback copy available um, once it's on full release. I will also have some copies at CrimeCon, so if you wanted a signed copy at CrimeCon, please come and find me. Um, obviously, if you want, if you've ordered it and you want it signed, just give me a shout and we'll work something out. We're going to have a giveaway for some signed copies of the book for you guys, our lovely Seeing Red listeners, once it's released as well. So we'll be able to get you some copies. We'll do some competitions. So keep an eye out on social media a bit nearer the time. The new Millennium Serial Killer will be out on the 1st of September. And I am absolutely buzzing. I'm a little bit terrified writing a book has been a really major thing but I've really enjoyed the whole process so I really hope that you all like it if you're going to listen Marcus said that you're going to do it as the book club book which is really crazy and I, I will definitely be there for that book club sat there probably not on screen just listening to what everyone's thoughts are because I don't want you all to see me while you're talking about something that I've written um but yeah it's it's very exciting and I can't wait Obviously, nobody ever wants to wish their children's lives away, but I can't wait till the baby's a little bit more settled and I can get involved again with the podcast properly, get back to recording every week with Mark. I cannot wait for it. I'm so excited to do that. I'm very sorry that I've rambled on so much um, at the end of this episode, but I'm hoping that you're still here with me right now. I hope you're all really well. I hope you're all doing good. Loving still being part of social media on Facebook and Instagram. Obviously, not as much as I usually would be because it's usually me. Mark is is on there. Um, he is doing a great job. He's chattering away to everybody, and I'm loving it. Please keep the conversations flowing. Keep the memes coming. And if Mark forgets Sunday selfies, someone get it going. That would be nice. Um, massive shout out to just every one of you, our listeners, and especially to our Patreon supporters. Thank you very, very much, everybody who's a Patreon listener who Mark has already thanked because. It just is major, really, really major. Everybody who listens to us, I love you lots. This is turning into an Oscars exception speech. So I'm going to go and um, I will speak to you all soon. I hope you enjoyed the episode and take care. Bye. Bye.